This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're thrilled today to be joined by a brilliant orthopedic surgeon who does some of the most interesting reconstructive work in the nation. So he talks a little bit what he's doing there, how he ended up there, what he's focused on. He's at Northwestern uh, University Medical Center, uh, Magnificent School of Medicine, the Farmer School of Medicine. We've got with us today Dr. Anish Kadakia. Dr. Kadakia, can you take a moment and introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your practice and your career? Well, thank you very much, Scott, for having me uh, on the podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure. A little bit about me. I basically grew up in Chicago, went to school at Northwestern, so that's kind of how I ended up back there. I've been school, residency. I did leave for a while to go to University of Michigan, where I picked up some kind of different ways of thinking, and then ended up back here in Chicago for my wife and her family, and luckily enough, landed back at Northwestern. Um that's a little bit about me, about the practice. It's evolved over the last 10 to 10, 15 years. You know, as you get older, things change. But really what's changed for me is that I do a lot of, you know, I don't like to use the word complex, but kind of things that other people don't want to do. So cases that maybe take a lot more time and involve a lot more difficulty, higher complication rate. That's what people kind of seem to send to me now. And that's kind of where I am trying to save limbs or reconstruct things that either can't be done in general or too difficult to be done or too time consuming to be done. That's kind of really what I do now. And talk about that for a moment, because it seems like you've zigged what others have zagged. Most physicians, orthopedic surgeons, you know, most, not all, want to do the, the, the knee replacements, arthroscopies, the things they could do over and over again. Um, that don't require so much complexity, so much effort, so much thought today, although very important. The same thing in so many specialties. Gastroenterologists want to do scopes. Psychiatrists want to prescribe. They don't want to talk to patients. You've chosen the other route, almost like a neurosurgeon who does cranial work today. You've chosen the route of taking the most complex cases. They're certainly not the most monetarily rewarding, although I know I'm sure you do great, but, but, but talk about how you chose and the energy it takes and maybe the satisfaction of taking on the most complex cases uh, versus taking on sort of where people often go to, which is the lowest common denominator, the, the you know, important cases, but ones that could be, oh, oh, and I don't want to understate the importance of those other cases, but they're ones that doctors can do over and over again, and, and they've become very profitable in the fee-for-service world, and you've chosen a different route. Talk about that and how you got there, how you chose to sort of position yourself there. Sure, I appreciate that. Um, just to be clear, I don't do only the complex stuff, so I do some bread and butter, but it's very, it's very true. Once you kind of go down the route of doing the revision work or the complicated work, that's basically what you get. And I think the reason is you hit it on the head. There's two major reasons. The patients that are difficult problems, they may be nice people in general, everyone's actually quite kind, but they are difficult to deal with in our medical system. There's a lot more clearance, like effort on our part to actually do the case. So it's a lot more resources that are required, personal time that's required. It's a lot more thinking because there's no answer for a lot of these cases. So, you know, for example, if you have a third or fourth, six time surgical reconstruction, there's no book that you can go to to tell you what to do. You kind of are making it up a little bit as you go, taking whatever skill set you have. And the outcomes are very unpredictable. And so it's it's time consuming. It's hard. 
And the way we are paid in this world and at Northwestern, it's no different. I am not paid for my skill or taking extra hard work or you're not paid for any of that stuff. The only way you're monetarily reimbursed is per these codes. And so time that is taken per code is significantly less when you do complicated or complex revision work. And so all humans, not all, but many people are all the same. Nobody wants to do that because the reimbursement or the reward is low on the back end. To, and so I don't blame anyone, uh, and maybe I'm doing it the wrong way, but the reason why I do it or I enjoy it is I truly love what I do with my mentor, Mark Meyerson. He's the one that does a lot of this stuff too. He's retired now, but he did a lot of it. And I always wanted to kind of, when I was a young kid, I told my grandparents this, and I have his, my grandfather's picture in front of me um, so that I know where I came from, is that I wanted to change the way people practice medicine for the better. That's really always been my goal. Um, and I think that's what pushes me to do this stuff. And sometimes I think maybe it's too much, but that's really what it is. I really want to do things that other people cannot do. And having had medical things in our family, in my own life, you know, it's a big difference if you just say, well, there's nothing that can be done. Go live with your pain. That's hard. I mean, it's hard to live with chronic pain. And if we can make you even 50% better, I think it's worth it. It's not a slam dunk, but I do think it's worth it. I've been told by one of the smartest best people that I know that you are absolutely remarkable at what you do. That's the comment that I was told by someone who referred me to you. Talk for a second about what are your big goals going forward? How do you see, how do you prioritize what you're going to try and do professionally? What are you most excited about? What are your big goals? Well, I appreciate that comment. That person's probably biased because I probably helped them personally, but my big goals are two major goals. One, I do want to do more mission work, which doesn't really help in general locally here, but I do want to kind of bring the skill sets that we have to the rest of the world. And there's an organization that I work with called Steps to Walk that I do that with, and I want to do that twice a year. Because um, not only do you help the people locally in the, in the rest of the world, because we actually, shockingly, most of the foot and ankle orthopedic care in the world is really only done in the Western countries. There's very little everywhere else, even in China, India, Africa, South America, it's actually pretty limited. So I want to bring the skill set to those surgeons and those patients and the education that we go every year over and over, I think is really important to me. Two, I would, this is a dream, it's always a pipe dream, to have like a world-class center here at Northwestern where I can have four to five surgeons and we can have people come from the country and the region who are unable in their local area, people aren't able to take care of them, and we can take care of them. Uh, I've talked to people about that, but it's a it's a financial, extremely difficult thing to do. But there are so many patients that I see on Insta I'm on Instagram, and I see other people giving lectures where you're like, I could have salvaged that, or somebody like me could have salvaged that. I want to take all the credit in this world, but there are people that can salvage it with uh, plastic surgeons. And they end up just getting kind of like left to the wind because nobody knows how to do it sometimes. And so that those are my two big dreams. Uh, in addition to the education that I do all the time, you know, we're always lecturing and training people. But that that would be kind of a, a goal if I could do that before I left the cert. That'd be wonderful. So, so phenomenal, both more mission work and building a more dedicated team around these kinds of complex cases, reconstruction cases, and so forth. And, and take a moment on you've had this great career as a physician. You know, you, you, you've really built something very special in what you do. 
what advice would you give to emerging physicians? I mean, there's so many different thoughts out there for emerging physicians. People want to be in lifestyle practices. They're burnt out and they haven't even started. Half are part-time by the time they're 40, 45 or so. What advice would you give to physicians to have a satisfying career to, to try and, and how they should approach medicine? Those are great questions, Scott. And I think you said all the things that we all think about. Um, I think the one thing that I would say is, you know, when I was young, you know, I'm an immigrant. I was told to be a physician when I was eight years old. I really didn't have any choices in this world. Luckily, I fell into something that I'm passionate about and I truly love. And that's really what I would tell anyone that wants to do medicine. Yes, we do very well in this world. People can do better, but there's two things that really make the job worth it. As frustrating as it is, there, there's always frustrations in every job, but take those aside because there's no job that's frustration free. So if you realize that part, then the frustrations in medicine kind of diminish because there's no perfect job. It's probably the only job I think where patients truly, you impact the patient's life directly and you get paid in hugs. That doesn't feed the family, obviously, but there's very few jobs where a patient will actually give you a hug and thank you for taking care of them. It's, it's very satisfying. You have to keep that in mind. It's the only profession, I think, or one of the few where that happens in medicine. Right? Nurses get it, other, other professions in our, in our field get it. Two, if you're doing medicine, you should do it because you truly love what you do when you pick your specialty or you pick medicine. I think a lot of people now pick orthopedics or dermatology or what have you because they see it as a good lifestyle. This is not a job. It's your passion and it's your calling. And then that may be a little old school, but if you take it that way, then you are always pretty much happy to go to work and you don't get burnt out as much. And I think those are the physicians that can make it long-term. It's not counting every dollar. Um, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not Mother Teresa. I, I do like getting paid for my work, but in the end, you're actually thinking about every day, what can I do better? Either surgically, non-surgically, improve patient outcomes. And if that's really where your focus is, the rest of it is, it's not really a job. You know, it's 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 a joy. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best answer, but that's it was, no. But it's it's it, it. But it's truly a beautiful answer. It reminds me, we were at dinner last night with one of my closest friends who happens to work in Northwestern himself, and he had shared that a patient had told him, "You saved my life. I am so thankful." And and he said how how gratifying that was, and how often that actually happens, but how incredibly grateful he was for this patient who he felt had overstated the case, but still had you know said, "You would save my life, and thank you so much." And, and I think it, that, that taking him back to, there's always frustration, taking him back to, it's a calling. It's really something I do for those reasons. It's magnificent. I want to ask you about one other old school discussion. In, in the, the first, second generation immigrant families, there is so much of what you talked about. Like in my family, we were allowed to be an accountant, lawyer, or doctor. And if I was anything other than those three, I was going to be in a lot of trouble. You had mentioned that you're allowed <laughs> to be a doctor. You know, maybe you were allowed to be a doctor or engineer. Maybe there were a couple other possible things that your parents wouldn't have killed you if you did, but but very small. Was that better or worse than what it is today where the kids have so many different choices? I mean, you and I came from a certain world where we our parents gave us, you have these two or three choices, and that's really all the choices you have. And and is that better or worse? What Any thoughts on that? Because our, our kids, they have so many choices, but it seems so complex sometimes. You know, I, I think it's a great question. My wife and I think about it all the time. We're blessed with four children and um, we don't have the right answer, obviously. I actually think, and I think when you look at the world in general um, and you look at how things work, too many choices actually makes it hard to make a decision. 
And I think that's seen in the world we have today. I know there's a lot of, I read a lot of sociological stuff, but when you have too many choices, you can't make a decision because there's always something theoretically better. So I think for me, it was literally, it was medicine or nothing, an orthopedic surgeon or nothing. I was very directed and I just got lucky that I like it. Um, I think it's a, it's a balance between what, most people do now and what you and I were told. I think a focus, like you should be, you know, you, you talk to your kids, find out what they like. And these are the two or three things you need, you should focus on. Because the difference is for me, I don't think about what if I was a lawyer? What if I was in finance? What if I did this? What if I did this? My brain has been tuned to, I'm a physician, I'm a surgeon, and this is what I was born to do. And so I don't think about the other opportunities other options and probably why I'm happier where younger physicians now are in any field you do this you're 30 years old you finally start making a living your friends are making a lot more money or doing something different and you're always well I could have done that I could have done that I think that breeds dissatisfaction but again that comes from a person that was raised in a certain way too so I think I'm biased but I, I don't think all opportunity but, all options should be open to the to my kids this is my own selfish opinion because I think they need some direction, maybe not hyper-focused like I was. But it creates tremendous dissonance when you kind of wake up every day thinking, I could have done this, I could have done that, I could have done that. So it's a very challenging way to live, quite frankly. And it's a fascinating sort of difference in the world we live in. There's no changing it back, there's no turning it back. But it is fascinating. And they, they say this in sales. If you give somebody too many choices, they can't make a decision. You can't sell them. And it's almost in life. We have too many choices. It becomes too complex. And finding that way to constantly narrow ourselves down to here's what I do. I'm going to do it well, and I'm going to thrive doing it. And, and if you're fortunate like you and you've made it a calling, you're ahead of the game. Dr. Kadaki, I want to thank you for the work that you do and joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Always thrilled to have you back on. I've just heard remarkable things about your practice and how you work and, and, your, and your efforts. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate it.